Hey, hey, welcome back, folks, to the Uncultured Cinematic Universe. Every episode, we take a look at classic and iconic films from two perspectives, that of the diehard fan and that of the uncultured, who's never seen it before until now. We're your hosts, Justin and Joe, and today we're going to be discussing the non-traditional romantic comedy drama from 2003, Lost in Translation. Everything about this is non-traditional. It, you know what? I love that so much about it. I have a, a big section of my notes about that that I wanted to talk about, the non-traditionalness that is this movie. This movie said traditions get, get at lost. It. Yeah. Uh, as a reminder, you can watch us on YouTube or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the like. Just search for The Uncultured Cinematic Universe. And also find us on Instagram, at UCU Podcast, for, uh, you know, uh, uh Cocktail recipes and hints of what's to come and behind the scenes looks. Lots of good stuff in there. It's like 50% cocktail recipes, yeah. At this point, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, without further ado, let's hop on a transcontinental flight, cozy up, and make it Suntory time with Lost in Translation. <laughs> Joe, uh, I can't believe you haven't seen this before. Justin, I... Listen, I consider myself somewhat of a not a film buff, a movie person. When we when we go to trivia and there's a question that comes up about movies, people tend to look at me, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, they correct me. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that being said, I thought I had like seen more Sofia Coppola films than I actually have, just because like she's such a name in the she's industry. Such a name. From, you know, the Francis Ford Coppola family. She's right. Uh, one Oscar. She's made all these great films. I have seen one Sofia Coppola movie, and it was The Beguiled. Uh, I saw oh. that in theaters. Oh wow! That movie is wild and kind of rocks. Um, but it was a very I, kind of a random watch for me. Yeah, I never saw that. I've never even actually heard of it. Um, I'm more familiar with her earlier works. This one, The Virgin Suicides, mm-hmm. um, her debut, that kind of thing. That's that's what I picture when I hear Sofia Coppola. Right. So was was this the was this kind of your first introduction to Sophia? Like when did when did you see Lost in Translation when it was coming out? So all right. So this movie was released September twelfth, two thousand three. I was let's see, uh, carry the two. I was sixteen at the time. I didn't see this movie. Um, Rated R. Obviously, there's some boobage. There's, there's there's a couple scenes, yeah. There's some rough language in there. Um, so as a 16 year old, I can't go to the theater and see that. And also, you know, as we've established in previous episodes, I was kind of like a shit teenager <laughs> watching these kind of raunchy movies. As a 16 year old, I wasn't. Um, I didn't appreciate le film, as le it were. Film. And uh, that's what I hold firm that this would. That's what this movie is. This movie is quintessentially Le Film. Yes. You know? I uh, yeah. So I, I knew this movie more as a Bill Murray movie than a Sofia Coppola movie, actually. Sure. Like just in my knowledge of it, because this is the only time that he's been nominated for an acting Oscar. Is it? Um, That's amazing. No. And then it's also uh Scarlett Johansson's like long string of almost Oscar misses up until uh, a couple years back when she was nominated twice in the same year. Um, so that's, that's kind of what my uh, initial impression of it was, is that this is just kind of a moment in 
Oscar history, awards history. And I didn't even realize this until I actually Googled the film this past week. But Sofia Coppola became the third woman to be nominated for Best Director for this movie. That's incredible. The club. I thought she missed out on that one. That's incredible. Love that. Yeah. Um, Speaking of loving that, that I wanted to let's bubble it up a second. Let's so talk about, talk about themes. Let's talk about themes. All right. So last month, the month of January in 2023, we did firsts. It's the first of the year, the start of new things. We did my first solo co-ed movie theater experience, Joe. It was his first memory JPEG snapshot of being in a theater <laughs> with his family. Um, so mine was Can't Hardly Wait. Joe's was, of course, A Bug's Life. So we wanted to keep the train going in terms of themes. So the what do you think of when it's February? It's a new month. Uh, you think of love. And um, truth be told, we looked. I looked through the Excel spreadsheet that we had. Shout out Microsoft, get work done. Um, mm-hmm. Looked at the Excel spreadsheet that we made to like cross-reference. Had we seen this movie? Had we not? Can we categorize it? And out of all like the romancy, lovey time type of stories that jumped out to me that Joe hadn't seen was this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, this is perfect. Lost in Translation, I think, in my opinion, is a really neat subversion of the romantic comedy drama type of movie. It fits a lot of the tropes, but it really bucks the system in several unique ways. It it fits the tropes, but it's it's almost like the inverse of a lot of the tropes. So it's like the the piece that fits into the trope if it is any of this making sense like it's it's very much nope. like <laughs> negative of the the romantic comedy drama genre. yeah yeah you're right it's um okay i see what you're saying now yeah uh, i'm picking up what you're putting down it is the uh it's the mirror version it's the mirrored reflection of mm-hmm. what you could see uh you know the opposite version of this movie being made and it working out completely differently. So instead of set in Tokyo, it's set in San Francisco. And instead of like an older guy, younger girl, it's a little bit opposite. They end up together, that kind of thing. It's a little bit more straightforward. The comedy and yucks are a little bit more over the top as opposed to a little bit more subdued. There's probably a little less drama and like existentialism plugged into it. Yeah, Um, yeah. one of the bigger notes I read up on this film was like they... They're not necess- they weren't necessarily building a typical romantic arc. Like there wasn't going to be some sort of like major obstacle in their way. There wasn't going to be like them reuniting and walking off into the sunset at the end. It was more just about like <laughs> two people being lost in this vast sea of isolation and finding very focused, very kind of brief points of connection. Yeah. Uh, and then how we as an audience can start to recognize that connection as a form of love yeah. uh, in a way, if, even if we haven't uh, always seen it like that uh, right. on screen. It's definitely the, the non-traditional, we keep coming back to that of, you know, they, there's, uh, I was reading a bunch of articles and stuff on it. So there's no like definitive consummation, you know, P to Veen kind of mm-hmm. love making scene, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's very, more subtle in that way and it's more about smaller interactions Mm -hmm. and sharing through an experience of feeling alone and stuff like that but i thought this was an interesting choice for to to kickstart the month of february the theme is love and um 
Yeah, I, I think there there's a lot to glean from this movie in terms of that theme. And uh, I, I'm actually really excited for your turn in the coming weeks to see that movie, which we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later. I'll, I'll, I'll preview at the end here. I can't wait. Um, but yeah, let me hit you with some numbers here. So yeah, like I mentioned, this movie was released September 12, 2003. I was a sophomore in high school when this came out. Uh, this movie's 102 minutes. It's a tight, you know, hour and a half ish. It's pretty great. It's Jonathan, a pretty good one. Yeah, it, it moves at a pretty good clip. But um, we'll talk more about the some of the bits about the the film, the filmography of it, a little later. Um, Joe, the budget was four million dollars. What what would you guess the box office was? I'm gonna say it was. Are you looking at domestic or just worldwide? No comment. I don't know. I just took the, <laughs> the number straight off of Wikipedia. I can't tell you. <laughs> oh, if, it's, if it's Wikipedia, then it's worldwide. Um, okay. I'm going to say it's a, mm, above 80. It is above 80. It was $118.7 million box office. Yeah. Good Pretty for cool. Sophia. Pretty cool. Good Good for Sophia. Yeah, she definitely um, did it Did it with this one. Yeah, it's definitely it's a subversion in like eight different ways because it's a subversion of the genre. People hadn't necessarily seen a uh, more independent feeling story like this on, on so many screens uh, at once, you know, you, you, you kind of think it's like a, it's an awards play. It's a, it's almost a blockbuster hit in certain ways. It made over a hundred million dollars, but it's also definitely uh, an uncommon uh, independent film. Um, but then it's also a subversion of, the I guess the kind of the public image of Bill Murray too. Yeah. Just he'd never really uh, done this sort of thing before, at least mm-hmm. from my knowledge. Uh, been that much of an awards player. Um, and then I, I I think he was in like what was it Rushmore uh, that he got some attention for for Wes Anderson. But this was kind of the the big hit for him. Um, yeah. And then it was also a, probably a subversion of Sofia Coppola because like you you got to think like in terms of her career, she started out. <laughs> earning like winning multiple uh razzie awards for her performance in like the godfather part three which i've never yeah. even seen but like i always think her as part of that uh, i don't think i don't think she was very popular in that one um but obviously yeah. she, she comes from this huge uh hollywood family and uh she's uh made a few hit movies before this but i think this is where she really hits with uh the public and with uh the awards season as well yeah this was a, this was a big time award sweetheart for sure mm-hmm. uh, but yeah you mentioned you know her dad francis ford coppola five-time academy award winner two-time palm door bafta winner this kind of guy heavy hitter godfather uh the whole the whole series one two and three apocalypse mm-hmm. now the outsiders I don't know why I put that one in there. I thought that was hilarious that he did that. I love The Outsider. <laughs> and Bram Stoker's Dracula. I love that one, too. Oh, yeah. That one's great. Um, but, yeah, she she swung for the fences with this one with a mild, mildly low budget of $4 million, mm-hmm. shooting on location, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, wrote this after spending some time in Tokyo and really wanted to write about two characters experiencing a, quote, romantic melancholy. And I think that's so just like on the head of what this is it it's there's bits of love and adoration that you can see in the eyes and the chemistry that they're playing with back and forth but it definitely has that foreboding like heavy feeling of sadness and loss and misdirection and stuff like Mm -hmm. that 
You know what film I think of as kind of like a weird sister film to this is came out around the same time, Garden State. Uh, oh, yes. Which, which they're both, they both seem to be doing the same things, except Garden State is kind of heightened in every possible direction, both in terms of like how in your face it is with its themes, but also like, you know, it's got that kind of iconic soundtrack that's maybe a little bit overrated. I just, I think... I think Garden State has probably <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. crested being overrated by now, whereas Lost in Translation is still pretty, how do pretty we say, tight. rated uh, at this point. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, Garden State was one of my like early college years movie of like, oh, this is what movies can be. Oh, my I God. Love State. Yeah. And it, I remember it blowing my, my young mind. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it – I haven't returned to it mm-hmm. since my early – late teens, early twenties. Uh, so I don't know how it holds up, but I do remember watching this movie probably like way after it came out. Um, I think uh, maybe around 2009 or so I watched this Mm -hmm. six years after the fact, um, you know, Scarlett Johansson had already become a, a household name. This is pre Iron Man two. This is pre Marvel universe. Um, Mm -hmm. she went on to do several other things, but, looking back at this, you know, I think this holds up a whole lot better and has holds a lot more, you know, unique themes that as an adult, you can appreciate and you can glom onto uh, a lot more things that we talked about already, like alienation missed, you know, not knowing where you fit in, in the world and all that kind of stuff. I think, Um, I think so often on this podcast, we tend to like, we tend to like close read films like where we're kind of in ninth grade English and we're like writing a paper <laughs> on it and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have, I have, I have my ultimate thesis for this movie that I landed on and I was like, hell yeah, a plus, but I'll, I'll get to that after the the plot description. Cause I want to kind of set the stage here. As long as the phrase, when it comes down to it is in there, <laughs> I am going to be pleased. Um, cool. Yeah. So before, yeah, we get to the plot, let's, let's jump in and look at this trailer. I think this is the original trailer. Um, it's, it's got some good stuff to it. Yeah. Let's, let's dig in here. For relaxing times, make it Suntory time. Uh, Is that everything? It seemed like you said more than that. You're a movie star. Yes, movie. I should Actually, be doing movies. movies. Yeah. You know Rat Pack? Rat, Rat Pack? Rat Pack. A ring a ding ding. Mr. Harry, Mr. Kazo said me. My stockings. Lip them. What? Hey, lip my stockings. Lip them? What? Yeah. What are you doing? My husband's a photographer, so he's here working. I wasn't doing anything, so I came along. What do you do? I'm not sure yet, actually. So what are you doing here? Getting paid $2 million to endorse a whiskey. The good news is the whiskey works. Help! Can you keep a secret? I'm trying to organize a prison break. <laughs> We'd have to first get out of this bar, then the city, and then the country. Are you in or are you out? I'm in. Oh, yeah, I'm proud. Oh, this is You're probably just uh, having a midlife crisis. Did you buy a Porsche yet? You know, I was thinking about buying a Porsche. Oh, 
just don't know what I'm supposed to be. You'll figure that out. The more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. You really are having a midlife crisis, huh? Uh. <laughs> Ooh, coming soon, Joe. Can you believe it? Can you feel it? It was a very 2003, 2004 thing to have like a a sometimes statement on your, on your poster. <laughs> Something yeah. like I I would absolutely expect like a lesser version of this film to have like sometimes you gotta get a little lost before you can be found yeah before you can translate sometimes you gotta talk before you can walk lost in translation (laughs) like it missed the overdub voice guy oh my gosh an overdubbed voice on that trailer yeah Uh, reading the the words that are on the screen that's that's what trailers are missing these days so let's um, talk about the elephant in the room. This movie is primarily first and foremost about how tall Bill Murray is, right? There's several jokes hinting at his uh, hilarious height. I don't know how tall he is. At least six feet, I imagine. But, yeah, there's, yeah. There's a he's, a, jokes he's in there. a big guy. But um, but yeah, so I, I love that trailer. It it picks up some of the uh, the soundtrack vibes, and it kind of paints a really good picture of what to expect from this movie mm-hmm. um but yeah so before before we dive any deeper joe and while it's fresh on your brain you got the visuals in there let's do the plot you mentioned that this plot is going to be messy and hard and i don't think so i think it's going to be deceptively hard because there's not a lot of plot and so you have to pick a little bit above that, like what am I going to actually focus on here? What are you even going to say? I want you to to really focus in on that. I'm going to try not to get lost in like the first 20 minutes of the film. Describing the hotel to oh like oh ad nauseum. Okay. I'm already so stressed out. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Here we go, Joe. We're going to give you one minute and uh, you're going to explain the plot of Lost in Translation. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Any markets that go? Okay, um, Bill Murray plays uh, an over past his prime actor who is doing work in Tokyo. Um, he's uh, experiencing a lot of actual lost in translation moments because he can't really understand people around him. He's, he's very isolated. He feels isolated from his family. He feels isolated from his career. He feels isolated literally from the world around him because he doesn't speak the language. He encounters uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, who is a uh, newly married uh, woman just out of college, who is also feeling similar feelings of isolation because her celebrity photographer husband is kind of always literally running out of the room to go to a new job. Yep. Um, they form a connection over their shared isolation, and they find little pockets of uh connection and uh shared feelings as they uh travel around this hotel and around tokyo and it ends with um a bit of a confirmation uh of their love for one another that's not necessarily consummated in any way yep yep uh love that i love that that's what you took away from it um yeah you 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 nailed all the 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 high level stuff um as opposed to like explaining the plot of what happens it is a hard film to describe and as i was thinking about it like we 
the official genre for this film is probably like romantic comedy drama. Right? 100%. Yes. But it's it's kind of interesting how, at least from, from my viewing of it, like how separate those three elements are within the film. It's almost like a part one, part two, part three. Yes. Because the, the, the movie starts with Bill Murray's... Uh, Bill Murray doing work, working with these um, Japanese translator and these uh, Japanese directors and photographers and a masseuse slash maybe high class sex worker who maybe, maybe. to come to his room. Um, and that's where a lot of the humor is. Right. So yeah. I, I, I found the best parts of the movie to be where, you know, regardless of probable stereotypes that are being used. Yeah. Uh, ways here just a little bit um where things are literally getting lost in translation i thought that's where bill murray kind of shined um especially in the 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 montages almost of him (laughs) the director going back and forth behind the camera and literally screaming at him uh trying to get him uh into character but then shouting at the top of his lungs in a foreign language uh immediately shocking him out of it him not knowing uh, what the director wants because all he's getting is like three different words from his translator. Uh, And then that followed by um, him in a photo shoot where the photographer is kind of like throwing American references at him that don't necessarily land uh, in terms of direction. Uh, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was kind of great. I thought um, it it was maybe showing a a side of... uh, a foreign country where they don't necessarily have to know everything about America. They don't have to be obsessed with Americans. Like they probably don't know much about Bill Murray as an actor. Right. Um, and so it, it makes sense that he, they're not really going to connect that much with him. Um, and so that's kind of the comedic uh, element of the film that pretty quickly tran- uh, transfers over into the dramatic element where it's Scarlett Johansson scenes uh, right after that. She's like, literally feeling physically isolated from uh, the city and also isolated within her relationship. She and her husband do not have a shared language at all, do not have a rapport. They're, they're basically weird coworkers at this point. I don't know. Yeah. Like what did she say? How they possibly got together. Yeah. Um, But her, her moments aren't necessarily comedic, but they do highlight um, the different types of isolation that a person can feel, especially if you're jet lagged and you're halfway around the world from where you normally live. Right. Yeah. Um, and then all of that kind of comes together into the romance area, which is obviously highlighted as a different type of romance like this this movie explores what exactly romance and love can mean uh regardless of how long you've known someone regardless of age difference regardless of life difference regardless of the directions your lives are going uh what does it mean to cross paths with someone and how how much of a meaningful interaction does it have to be in order to count as loving someone yeah I think you absolutely is this is this your thesis? This is no. this was the oh no oh man I no, can't wait. I can I can I can get into my thesis. Okay, yeah. So that's the that's the body part of the paragraph that I, that I love right there. It it definitely breaks down each of those sections and pretty much like you said, part one, part two, part three, the culmination mm-hmm. at the end being some of the romance. You know they they're the comedic elements. There's the dramatic pieces and then how it all comes together at the end with the romance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fantastic call out there, Joe. Um, I, 
so I wanted to talk about like the connection to this movie and why why we chose it. So I kind of talked already that this was an interesting one that popped out in our list um, of something that you hadn't seen. I couldn't believe you hadn't seen it um, because there's not a lot of traditional like romance love stories on there. So to fit the theme, that's why I chose mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But I do love this movie because of things we've talked about already is the subversion of it. Um, it's not the traditional physical, you know, ha ha rom-com kind of, um, uh, formula. It's, it's very earnest. And, uh, to me, like I said, this is, this is Le Film. This is the auteur filmmakers movie to me. This movie, Joe is, is more of a vibe than a movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got the, it's got the interesting transitions it's got the soundtrack to push it forward it's got um fuck the pain away yeah fuck the pain away which is a highlight to me (laughs) right in the middle right in the middle of the movie uh shout out to peaches at peaches (laughs) (laughs) she's still around probably um but yeah the the attention to the framing the pacing the slice of lifeness Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a traditional, you know, beat A to beat B kind of move, that kind of stuff. It's, it, it feels kind of, and that's what I, I like about it is the independentness, the indie feel of it. And I think you also nailed it too, of the sister movie of Garden State feeling in the same kind of way. Um, you know, one thing I, I called out too, that I, this most recent go round, uh, to me, this movie feels voyeuristic mm-hmm. in a way. You know, you get that feeling when you watch other people uh, being uncomfortable and you feel uncomfortable for them, that that embarrassment. You kind of get some of that here um, because it's very slice of lifey. It's like you are just plopped down in this, uh, the hotel, and you're kind of just shadowing these people as they have this weird happenstance. Our two main characters are watching each other and then together they're watching other people and then we're watching them doing all this watching. Yes. Yeah. It feels, it, uh, it feels weird in, in a certain sense and it's kind of unnerving in that way. And I, and I think I like that. Um, but I, I, that, that's what I really dig about this. It's the emotional intimacy and finding that familiarity in a f- unfamiliar place. So, all that to say, so like Joe, I'm not well traveled, and I think you are. So I couldn't kind of connect on some of the jet lagginess and feeling completely out of place in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever experienced anything like that? I know that you've you've traveled a bunch and you've been to uh, multiple I've, places, but I've been to places in Europe that um, tend to speak English more than most countries, most foreign countries. And so there's, there's kind of an easiness there. Um, but I can definitely relate to jet lag kind of fucking you up for weeks on end. Yeah. Um, you're, you're always tired and whatever energy you have, whatever zest for exploration you may have had at home is not necessarily there. And there's also a weird pressure because you feel like you're, you're, you're in this place for the first and only time and you have to go explore. You have to experience life to the fullest. And so you're kind of set up <laughs> at your worst a little bit to yeah. go and have this one time experience. Um, 
and I, I I think you can uh, see pieces of that in this film. Like there's there's a there's a physical element of jet lag definitely present throughout this film because they they literally can't sleep uh, a lot, and that's what they first bond over. It yeah. seems. Yeah, and and I think that's a unique kind of device to kind of kickstart a lot of the other stuff to explore the city, to um, kind of just get a slice of what what Tokyo is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I've never had any kind of desire to see Japan or, or Tokyo. Um, I know people who, who do, but, um, it's not, it's not particularly my, my, my bag. And I think we touched on this earlier of, you know, this movie definitely, you know, kind of toes the line of a little bit of racist tropes here and there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's mo- painting with a pretty wide brush. Absolutely. So I'm sure, you know, Japan as a whole has a lot more to offer um, than this one particular media instance. Um, but, you know, uh, who's to say? Maybe. That could be that could be a neat little trip to take eventually yeah. down the line. Uh, Joe, let's, let's take a pause here. And uh, so for relaxing times... Bob wants us to think of Santori time. And I wanted to cheers to you with this nice little cocktail here. Um, oh, I'm so glad you did one too, even though it's 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> so I'm going to go first. What this is, this this here is a Japanese old-fashioned. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So I made some homemade uh, ginger syrup um, and using that to incorporate in here. So in here we got a cube of sugar two slices of ginger muddled with some bitters, throw in some, some of that ginger syrup, a little bit of bourbon on top, orange slice, mm. Santori time right here. This is just a, a Japanese old-fashioned. I also obviously took inspiration from the Santori time scene, uh, which is which is where, where the alcohol is highlighted most in this film, I would say. Um, and just like uh, what Roger Moore drinks in many of his films, I made uh, a bourbon sour, um, which is bourbon mixed with uh, lemon juice and um, uh, simple syrup. That's what a bourbon sour is? Um, that's what my bourbon sour is. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm calling it a Roger Moore. Ooh, I like that. You tend to go for people names with mm-hmm. your cocktails, and I think that is... Fantastic and a hundred percent on brand. I like to associate someone's pre-existing memory and feelings of a person with a drink that I create. Yeah, yeah. So we can add this to the roster with the Leslie Bibbs of of the world. Leslie Bibb was iconic. Yeah, yeah. And and Roger Moore here. Um, that was honestly that was a, that was a good call out. That was a hilarious joke. I think. <laughs> you know, they wanted Roger Moore, and he's like, "Well, he drinks more uh, uh, martinis, but that'll work." Um, oh, yeah. Bill Murray being able to just Bill Murray his way through this movie um, carries a, a, a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, obviously, uh, he was able to um, improv a lot of his lines. This movie didn't have a ton of like scripted kind of interaction. Um, you can see that in some of the shots. It's it's kind of just like carryover shots. Uh, or things like that. Um, some of some of it feels like a music video to me. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's playing much more of a straight man than you see in his regular movies. But then a little bit of like the classic 
uh, Bill Murray comes out when he's like acting in these commercials. Mm-hmm. And so you you start to realize like, oh, there, it, it takes some skill to do a Bill Murray impression here. <laughs> yeah, you're um, right. Which is essentially what he's doing. He's doing the little cocked eyebrow. He's doing that little like smarmy uh, look at the camera. Yeah. Um, he's he's kind of uh, it's 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 a fun way to allow him to show off his range as an actor by being an actor in this film. So you're saying Bill Murray is playing Bob, who's playing Bill Murray. In is this sense. supposed to be a washed up Bill Murray character? No, I, I think, think I think he's actually more of like a 70s act, uh, television star or something. Yeah, yeah, um, which, which I think is a neat uh, kind of thing. Anytime uh, in movies or whatever, when an actor has to play like a washed up version of an actor, I was like, mm-hmm. is that usually like a death knell for them? Do they feel weird? You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, so let's let's dive into some of these themes and cult status and things like that, and then we can talk about your uh, your thesis here because uh, this will. This my thesis will... is growing like as we as we speak. Uh, okay. It's mutating. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Growing. Growing. Not showing. I appreciate it, Joe. <laughs> uh, yeah. So romantic melancholy, I think, is a really great way to kind of describe the relationship between Bob and Charlotte there, you know, like I mentioned, there's that feeling of sadness that they both bring. Um, you can feel the loss, you can feel the lack of direction and the sadness in these characters. And I think that's what makes it really human. And mm-hmm. as an adult now, um, you know, you can kind of be like, Oh, I totally would feel the same way in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to like, when you're younger, you watch this movie because it's like a cool movie to watch. You're just like, Oh, it's, it's funny. And it's got, you know, cute Scarlett Johansson, which on, on rewatch, she was 17 at the time. So that changes a whole lot of, okay. I was wondering, cause she's always like shockingly younger than you think she is. So mm-hmm. she was 17 when filming this. Yeah. Playing like a 22, 23 year old. Yeah. Um, which, you know, Sophia and everybody had, you know, kind of reservations with, I was like, can you play an older character? And she does it really convincingly well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she, this, this movie's very much about two people hitting juncture points in their lives. It's almost, if you can boil it down to like a midlife crisis is meeting a quarter life crisis and they're finding ways to relate uh, within that. They, they both have um, baggage in a certain way where they have these societal expectations to, uh, love their families, love their relationships, but maybe they're not really getting uh, what they need out of their relationships. And so they're very much open for business in terms of like um, finding those relationships elsewhere. Yeah. It's um, can we just first just normalize quarter life crises? Yeah. Uh, that is the perfect juncture in time to start to question your life. And I think it's becoming obviously more normalized now. Um, with these up and coming generations, these young whippersnappers, you know, you're 22, 23 years old coming out of college. You think you know what you want to do, but is it really what you want to do? Mm-hmm. Is Are these your real friends? Are these the people you want to spend your life with? That kind of stuff. Is this career path yours? And then, you know, you tack on another 25 years to that. Bob and I think Bill Murray was also at about like 50 ish years old when he filmed this Mm -hmm. similar kind of thing. You hit another midlife point of I've been doing this adult lifestyle for so long. And now, you know, you see it, he's kind of a washed up actor. He's not like who he used to be. He's doing these weird kind of 
like commercials for this whiskey across the world. Like he's not really connecting with it, but he's trying to get paid and try to get a job for it. Um, it's it's an interesting thing to to start the movie on. Uh, yeah, these these crises are basically just like performance review check ins with yourself every twenty five years. <laughs> to put um, a to put a corporate view on it, yeah. Well, we we talked about how obviously this movie is about like small touch points of connection and how those can be um, intense enough to uh, be considered love uh, in a way, right? Uh, If you within the right context, but I think this movie does a pretty good job of like setting up what's required in order for those connections to happen. So let me, I'm 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 trying to like. vocalize this thought so yeah. the, the 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 title of the film is lost in translation and we get a lot of that in a pretty obvious way in the yeah. first parts of the film again like some of the more comedic moments that i was talking about where it's literally people speaking different languages and he's getting 10 percent of what's coming through uh, via a translator um and then kind of the next uh, branch out, uh, which is where you start to see a lot of the connections between him and Scarlett Johansson is like in his own interpersonal relationships. Um, so much is getting lost in translation because he's trying to maintain this relationship with his wife and kids who are on the other side of the world. But you feel that like, because he's not physically there because they're not physically here with him. So much of, uh, the meaningfulness of that relationship is being lost. It's kind of yeah. fading away just because uh, you need to be physically there with someone in order to have this type of connection. And the same goes for Scarlett Johansson. Like um, she's, she's not getting what she needs uh, from her husband. They're, they're not able to set up a solid bond because he's either literally physically not there or he's like sleeping. He there's, there's so many shots of him just like sleeping next to her. There's, there's just, they're not, uh, taking the time to connect. And so you, it, it, it all kind of builds to a point where it almost feels inevitable and it makes perfect sense that they would find each other, even though, you know, he's twice her age, he's more than twice her age. They're not really in the same worlds at all. All they're doing is like occupying the same hotel together, but they, they both recognize in each other, um, everything that is required in order to have a love connection. If that makes sense, like they're, they're speaking the same language. They're on the same wavelength. They're both physically here. They're both uh, seeing within each other what is needed and what's been missing uh, in their current experiences, even if it's in the past, you know, week or so. Right. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's literally two lost souls finding each other in, Mm -hmm. in a, in a weird foreign place. And, you know, had this movie taken place or, you know, this instance taken place in a more familiar area, like if they were in a layover in Oklahoma City, shout out Oklahoma, if they were there, like, would it have been as meaningful or Mm -hmm. would it has been or would it have been as impactful? Um, Because they literally are like on their own kind of islands, but they find out that they're on the same island together. I mean, like, there's interesting. There's a moment at the end of the film where she, he's able to recognize her in a crowd because she literally stands out from the crowd uh, yeah. because of her hair color. And that's when he chases her down and they have their final hug. Um, God, I had another deep thought, but I, I completely forgot. Oh, it's all good. Let's, uh, let, let's, let's 
So was that most of your thesis or have we not even touched scratch? No, thesis no, yet? let me, I, I feel like there's too much buildup happening here. Let me just, <laughs> so <laughs> um, what I was thinking is while watching this is um, I had trouble with some of the characters uh, throughout okay. the film. Okay, let's talk about I, it. I, I th thought while watching this, maybe more so with the Scarlett Johansson type than with the um, Bill Murray character, is like they seem kind of maybe a little too mopey. Uh, maybe they're not really just like taking the initiative to find, uh, you know, happiness within their own lives, which I it's which is an insane generalization to make. There's there's yes, a, a lot of crazy things happening, uh -huh. obviously, but I couldn't really connect or relate to a lot of what they were doing. Um, so you're saying you're saying then, you're saying Scarlett Johansson's character. Um, both of them to an extent, but maybe her more than uh, Bill Murray. Sure, sure. Okay, continue. Um, and I, I, I couldn't really relate. It's uh, they, they seemed like maybe, maybe not the most enjoyable people to be around, uh, just because sure. they were a little bit too obsessed with their own isolation. Um. But there were certain moments like like when Bill Murray is uh, having these interactions with uh, the Japanese people when he's having when they're, they're doing karaoke with Scarlett Johansson, when Scarlett Johansson is exploring the, the temples around the city and is uh, really uh, finding some insight there. There were certain moments where like I found myself more engaged with the film. And so um, in the same way that scarlett johansson and bill murray um are isolated as characters in this film and find moments of connection with each other and they're all the more important because of that i was a little isolated from the film while Ooh. watching the film but i found those moments of connection and they were more important they stood out more to me i i remember them more because of that heightened feeling so the, the ultimate thesis here I'm saying is that like the, the audience is definitely brought in uh, to that experience of isolation and connection yeah. uh, in a way. Yeah. You're, you're going along the journey with them. So like when they start to connect, you connect more with them too. That's right. kind of what you're saying. Like I, I threw this up cause I loved that scene during the trailer <laughs> of, um, it's the iconic shot of her head on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. He's got the pink wig on and he's got his legs crossed and they're just sitting there sharing a tender moment. And that's really when they connect. Mm -hmm. um, there's a shot also like in the scene prior when they're in the, the karaoke bar doing the thing and he's singing. Uh, not not uh, what's, what's so funny about Peace, Love, and Understanding. It's the other one. I can't remember. But the way that she looks at him mm -hmm. and it's not fuck me eyes. It's like look at this person it's it's it, it's it's beautiful it's interesting because like about halfway through this film once we establish like yeah these two characters have chemistry i kind of didn't know where it was going to go from there like are are we kind of waiting for them to have some sort of torrid love affair and they're going to be uh playing around in the sheets or something like that um and i think the film is obviously like very aware of what it's uh kind of disrupting uh, yeah. there in terms of like not really not really having turning this into a typical sexual romantic relationship but exploring that same intensity that same 
love in different ways based off of what each of these characters really need in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. It really comes down to emotional availability, which obviously neither of them are getting from their partners. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, um, Charlotte's, uh, I forget his name, but Frank, Bob. Bob. well, no, no, no. Uh, her husband, her new husband, Frank from, uh, uh, friends, sure. Uh, Phoebe's brother. Uh, yep. That guy, um, is just unavailable either mm-hmm. physically or definitely emotionally unavailable. Like, hilariously. So he's, he's coming in off the high, off the work and he's talking about all this stuff and he's really excited about it, but he's not connecting mm-hmm. with her and he's not listening to her and he's not picking up on obvious things of like, Hey, you're, hanging around here by yourself like that's not good you're a mm-hmm. philosophy major obviously you live in your head like what more can we do but this, work is all important to him this movie is about the importance of being physically present in certain cases like it's if we being, talk about oh go ahead i was gonna say it's being physically present and emotionally available yeah and that's where they that's the the big intangible thing that a most that most like young relationships and younger people don't grasp onto a little bit till a little bit later is that emotional intimacy mm-hmm. um, that's that's really missing and it's that subtlety it's that gray area and that's where Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson are able to kind of play off each other and that's where they find that connection because you see in the interactions with with Bob and his wife she's very um, she sucks you know <laughs> It's she's just the worst. She's so passive aggressive. And so just like, Hey, whatever the kids are getting used to not seeing you ever, but maybe you'll come home eventually. It's like, who wants to come home to that? I, I, I loved how every interaction with her was just another example of like, let's, let's check back back in on the theme of this movie. The title of this movie being lost in translation. He's on the phone with her. um, And he's kind of missing the, the fact that uh, it's it's morning over there and they're having breakfast because he's not physically there. And then there's also the many moments in this film that I loved where a fax machine is being used to just have a conversation. Um, people are writing things on paper and faxing them to uh, to Bob and to Charlotte uh, at, at uh, a certain All point. Is her name Charlotte? Yep. Charlotte. Um and it, it's kind of like a perverse form of texting because so much of the the emotion, so much of the the, the need behind uh, the text is just lost, lost. flattened yeah. out literally on paper, uh, yeah. even though she's only asking him about uh, carpet shades. Yeah, it's it's so ridiculous. For our younger listeners, faxing is an outdated technology that we used to use and I never used it. I faxed like a thing once in my professional career. Um, it's like you send a, a, a message or a, a document mm-hmm. through the phone it, line. It's really weird. Maybe it's because it was Japan, but I thought like 2003 even was like too late for people to be faxing. Like were people faxing in 2003? I guess so. I mean, we were still faxing when we worked together in 2017. There's so much faxing. I've never sent a fax in, in my entire life. It's so goddamn confusing, and I don't understand it. But yeah, the um, 
this this movie hits on so many things and i and i i've grown to really appreciate it in my mm-hmm. older years um a lot of the subtleties that are at play uh i wanted I, to ta- i wanted to talk about some of the standout scenes and shots yeah uh from this so i know you texted me this last night when you were watching it and you said immediately and this is the first note i have is him on the elliptical oh it's so funny is so fucking funny he's got a lot of physical comedy in this movie he like does he's falling all over the place yeah, and like we've all been there on an elliptical machine and feeling like this is where I die. I die somehow. By, by Do I have control of this? Is my corpse going to look good when they find it? Probably because I've been sweating and I'm doing yeah. the cardio. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I already mentioned the karaoke scene uh, where they're hanging out with Charlie Brown and that whole crew. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been, obviously, I've never been to, to Tokyo or Japan, but that's very, that's very Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Right is is the the karaoke lounge, the karaoke bar where it's a pod where you hang out with people and you just sing songs in a room, um, which seems pretty neat if you're into that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it it leads into that iconic, wonderful shot of her head on his shoulder, and I think they use that on a bunch of movie posters or whatever. But um, I love that scene so much, mm-hmm. and then that leads into my all time favorite scene of this movie which is um, after that they hop in the cab and they're driving back to the hotel. Um, and then the song sometimes by my, my bloody Valentine is playing and it, that's the feeling of a music video and it definitely fits the mood uh, to me completely. And that was the first time uh, when I saw this movie in 2008, 2009 or whatever. Um, and I heard that song for the first time. I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And what is this genre? What is this band? And that's my that was my introduction to this 1991 album um, by my my bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just love that so much. And that was that's the one thing that I'm going to always remember forever from this movie is that scene, that song, that whole transition right there. Yeah, from from what I've read, like books have been written trying to analyze this film, uh, starting with the opening shot of the film, which is. 35 seconds of ass crack, baby. Yeah, but uh, then you go, oh my God, she's 17. Uh. <laughs> Which, uh, and you, you read up on it and people are trying to figure out like, uh, what what does it mean? Uh, are we trying to like make the, the viewer kind of examine their own uh, uh, discomfort here because it, it lingers for so long and it, it kind of becomes a combination of that, but also like what we've been saying is that Sofia Coppola was just just trying to go for a vibe here just uh bucking the system yeah she's trying to just create an atmosphere create it's 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 like you're it's like you're watching an, an album almost it's just yeah. like how does this make you feel really uh, so we're not trying to define anything so from a visual perspective um we're dancing around it of she's making really conscious decisions to make unique shots and carry over stuff making it feel like a music video, make it feel like a vibe, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So the way that they were able to accomplish that is um, they used a lot of available light as much as possible. So familiar with that from The Revenant, using only daylight to shoot, no uh, lighting crews or anything like that. Wherever they could uh, possibly use it, they would use the the natural ambient light of the the Tokyo cityscape, or internal shots and that's why some of the and i noticed this you know like a lot of the scenes are sometimes a little blurry a little out of focus Mm -hmm. and that only plays more into the earnestness the um 
the the genuineness feeling of this that I get from it, and then yeah. even more of that uh, voyeuristic kind of take because like your eyes are only playing with what's in the room or mm-hmm. the you know kind of focusing in and out on what's what's happening and yeah and not that but the, the camera is so clearly handheld uh, yeah. in certain uh, shots as well yeah it feels uh-huh. it feels good. It feels like someone walking up and down with it. Mm-hmm. Another shot that I love is another iconic one that could be an album cover is them laying in the bed and her in the fetal position with her feet just barely touching him and mm-hmm. him laying there and then her, him, his hand on her foot. It's, um, it's beautiful. I think. Yeah. That's obviously the, the moment in the film where like the movie makes an active choice to, not have them sleep together or anything like that. And that's, it's, it's a bit of a disruption of the genre. Um, but at this point you're kind of expecting that yeah, because you kind of realize that this is, this is not a typical romantic film. And there were, there were a couple moments similar to that where I guess, I guess something was a little bit unexpected or where they, they played with uh, the romantic comedy drama genre a little bit. Uh, and one of them was for me, after he sleeps with the the bar singer, they get into kind of uh, he and Scarlett Johansson get into kind of like a mini fight in yeah. their relationship. It's kind of like this is this is a microcosm of a relationship, but we're going to show them going through ups and downs still. Yeah, uh, they they kind of have a bit of a silent treatment uh, lunch, which they then use to make up with each other by both agreeing that the lunch was pretty terrible. Um, which, which I think is and- really like mature in a way mm-hmm. like it's totally fine for them to fight and all that kind of stuff uh, because like it's it's kind of betrayal in a way of like hey i thought we were connecting yeah. not that i wanted to have sex with you or anything but i thought we were connecting and who is this who's this bitch you know i, I think throughout the film they're both simultaneously like realizing some level of attraction for each other realizing that this isn't like a normal a relationship. This isn't a normal connection that they're having yeah. uh, and realizing whether or not that means that they can break or follow certain rules of a right. relationship. And so they, they have a fight. They, they, they make up at the end. And then at the very end of the movie, when they have their kind of final goodbye in the crowd, I, I was surprised that like they, they did straight up kiss, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it, and it, it didn't feel like, dirty in a sense that oh they're treating on their significant others or anything just because at this point in the movie the movie has succeeded in convincing you that this relationship is about more than uh romance about more than sex like they're not really kissing for that reason it's more just like they're signifying what this meant to each other yeah and uh that's that's my last note here on like iconic favorite shots is just that last the whole last scene period him getting into the cab, him seeing her down the street, chasing her down, and them having their final embrace mm-hmm. uh, in the street amidst the chaos of you know the the Tokyo city streets is just so well executed, and all to be you know finally punctuated with the Jesus and Mary chain, just like honey is so <laughs> is so great you know it's it's just a great scene and that's a great transition into the soundtrack. We already talked about this a little bit, but um. Yeah, definitely this the sister soundtrack to this being Garden State, which came out around the same time, 
It's that moody, melancholic. It feels kind of like a mixtape that your friend made for you. Mm-hmm. Um, this this was my first kind of exposure, like active exposure into the genre of dream pop. I don't know if you've ever heard that, Joe. Give me an example. So dream pop is the songs that are in there. It's the the um, sometimes in there uh, by my bloody Valentine. It's just like honey by Jesus and Mary chain. It's like gritty guitars, but really the, like the delicate vocals is what sets mm-hmm. it apart. Um, rich textures, very vinyl worthy is a thing that, that I, that I come to it. Like if you're going to buy a vinyl record, it would be one of those two, the, uh, my bloody Valentine or Jesus and Mary chain. Any of those records like play well to it because it's, it's kind of it kind of fits the indie feeling of the movie. It um, it kind of has that atmospheric kind of thing, and um, so a note: the lead singer of My Bloody Valentine, Kevin Shields, did several pieces. I think four unique tracks for the movie. Uh, Sophia and and he worked together to kind of uh-huh. create some of the stuff, and um, it, it's kind of that emotional kind of vibey kind of stuff. And, it, the, uh, I, the I movie feels it. like an album in the way that it builds um in definitely the way that you're supposed to interpret it based off of how you're hearing and seeing things and so it only makes sense that like its soundtrack would have yeah. a level of significance yeah absolutely so um one last thing i wanted to talk about before we wrap things up and i get some of your final thoughts joe what does Bob whisper to Charlotte at the very end what is your interpretation even though it's uh, if you read if you watch it with um closed captioning on it says just inaudible dialogue and it was on purpose this is obviously one of the things that i did know about this movie just because that's kind of the iconic shot uh uh is him whispering something to her that is uh hidden from the audience and so it's very much up left up to interpretation um i i found myself trying to obviously listen in and hear like what he was saying um i think it's it's like we talked about with a um, midlife crisis running into a quarter life crisis uh, and them kind of shaking hands, forming this connection uh, much in the same way that, you know, 50 year old Bill Murray is uh, acting alongside 17 year old Scarlett Johansson, an older actor uh, uh, acting with a, a less experienced actor in the industry. Yep. So I think, you know, as a character on screen, but also maybe as coworkers, he's kind of giving her advice in a yeah. way, uh, being like, I've, I've, I've kind of gotten onto the other side uh, of where you're at. Here's what you can expect going forward. That's, that's what I really take from it. And that's what I want it to be. Um, clever audio files across the internet broke this years ago of what mm-hmm. he's actually saying. They were able to like boost the, uh, the, the levels. Mm-hmm. So what he actually is whispering to her is I have to be leaving, but I won't let that come between us. Okay. Mm-hmm. She says, okay. And then they kiss and then, then they leave. And that's kind of implying that, you know, they're going to continue a relationship, be it romantic or not down the line. And, I do kind of like that, but I wish it was more of like kind of like a summation of the of kind of the conversations that they had previously of, you know, like, hey, I've been where you've been. You're going to figure it out and you're going to be okay. Yeah, I think it's a weird credit to the film that we both 
<laughs> upon like hearing this inaudible dialogue, like didn't really think of it in a romantic sense, like in a, Hey, meet me at the hotel. Again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, I, I, I think it makes more sense to interpret that as more of a culmination of uh, these two, you know, ships in the night that they have been throughout this whole film rather than uh, a continuation of any sort of romantic relationship. Yeah. So like the conversation that they have in bed, like a day or two prior to, to him leaving, um, you know, he's like, you know, the more you kind of know who you are, the less you let things upset you. You know, he talks about the magic of having kids and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, eventually you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. And I think that's the through line that he's, they, they do share a kiss. They share a romantic, um, bits here and there, but it's more of the emotional kind of connection that they have. And it's less sexual. It's less of that traditional romantic kind of feelings. And um, that's what I take away from it. And that's what I hold in my heart about like how the movie ended. And I think it's really great. And I, and I think that's the, the power that Sophia Coppola brought to the table of just like, let's leave this open to interpretation. Everyone can kind of take their own way with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I got from it. There's, there's so much to interpret with this film. I think we're only scratching like 10% of it and the rest of it is lost Drag. in translation. Oh, you did it. You Full circle. It. We didn't even talk about Anna Ferris in this movie and we won't talk about Anna Ferris in this movie, but she's pretty great. I'm sure Anna Ferris is going to occur. Is it Anna? It's Anna. It's Anna. Yeah. Anna Ferris, like from uh, Frozen. Great. Anna yeah. Ferris is essentially her character from Just Friends. Um, but just like before she hit it big, um, <laughs> Samantha, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, she was waiting to sing for forgiveness. It's great. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think she played a great role too. I think um, her her role in the film just goes to show how deeply you are into a non movie of this genre because she may have like fit right in in, in a normal romantic comedy, but she agreed like pops out so glaringly hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. in this film, and maybe that's purposeful. It really does. Yeah. I think it was on purpose. It's great. So yeah, Joe, uh, final thoughts before we hop into our end games here. What did, what were some of the things you took away? What were some last minute things you want to say about it from your thesis? Um, I, I think this movie is about very, um, focused pinpoint moments of connection and i think not only do the characters experience that but the audience experience it in their relationship with the movie that is that is my ultimate thesis Mm. in so many words i love that yeah it's it's definitely the connection that we have to it as well in sharing a lot of the similar things that they're going through well Mm -hmm. said joe so uh without further ado here we are we're at the end red end games um I hinted this to you before we started recording. I, I too was going through what you were going through last week of panic of coming up against the clock of what am I going to do for Joe with this game? And, um, I, I explained the dilemma to my wife, Ryan, and she was more than gracious to help. And she lent, you know, more than 50%, um, of, of her contribution to this game. So Joe, I'm really sorry. I'm so terrified. It, it should be fun. And I like that we kind of shift every so often. There's, there's bits of, there's bits of trivia in here. There's bits of thinking quick on your feet. But <laughs> before we go any further, any further, I landed on the name of what I wanted this game to be before it became what it is. But, okay. um, 
yeah, let's let's get into it. Here we go. Here's here's the intro track that I obsessed over for a week. Bill Murray Karaoke is, God in fact, the name of the game. And uh, just want to let you know that this definitely has nothing to do with Bill Murray. Um, I just came up with the name, and I stuck with it. Ryan is adamant that Bill Murray and Karaoke don't rhyme. But Bill, I, Bill Murray, Karaoke, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, but it works in the song. So I'm sticking to my guns there. Joe, just, what, was that Dream Pop? That was Dream Pop. That yeah. sounded amazing. Thank you. I took a hundred percent cue from Jesus and Mary Chain. The last track of the of the movie is uh, "Just Like Honey." Perfect. Uh, even so much from the intonation of how you say "Just Like Honey" with Bill Murray. Um, yeah. So what we did, and this was Ryan's idea. Um, are you familiar with Google Translate, Joe? The tool from Google. I have it open as a tab whenever I visit a foreign country and need to ask for, you know, a croissant or something. Croissant. Love that. So what we did, Joe, I got five questions here for this particular round, and then we'll move to a second second section. What we did, we took iconic lyrics from love songs across the decades, took them from English and plugged them in to Google Translate and back and forth ad nauseum until we ended up with some <laughs> semblance of nonsense. Um, that wasn't super working, but then we found this little online tool called the Text Obfuscator, mm-hmm. and it does it for you. Um, so like a psycho version of telephone. Correct. Um, from one language to another to another, back into English, and it gets unintelligible at times. But some of these are pretty easy. So. With these questions, um, I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to read the lyrics mm-hmm. as they have been obfuscated to hell and back. The word and of the, the day is obfuscated, kids. Welcome, yes, uh, to uh, the uncultured street. They were obfuscated to hell and back. If you can name it off the bat without needing multiple choice, you'll get a bonus point. Okay. Um, but if you need the multiple choice, you can have that, but you're not going to get the bonus added at a two point bonus to it. So, so am I naming the original lyric or the song? The song. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You ready? All right. Again, this is, yeah, this is Bill Murray karaoke or lost in translation karaoke, which has nothing to do with Bill Murray. All right. Mm-hmm. Ready? Here we go. Number one, I don't want to have an intelligent conversation. I don't want to work so hard. Hmm. I just want someone to talk to. I want you as you are. No, fuck. I don't want to have an intelligent conversation. I don't want to work so hard. I just want someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. I I want you as you are. Correct. Yes. 
Can you name it off your head, or do you want some, or do you want the the multiple choice? I think like other song lyrics are coming in and like disrupting me. I want the multiple choice on this one. Okay, is it "Come as You Are" by Nirvana? Hmm? Is it "As You Are" by Dotri? Or is it just the way you are by Billy Joel? Oh, Justin. Um, I've heard one of those songs. So <laughs> I am going to pick. <laughs> um, uh, I think one of those songs is a love song. So I'm going to pick uh, Just the Way You Are by Jill, Billy you, Joel. You'd be correct. That's two points right there. Okay. You, you could have had four, but you got two points. Yeah, there's no goddamn way I'm getting that one. Yeah, the the original lyrics were, I don't want clever conversation. I never want to work that hard. I just want someone that I can talk to. I want you just the way you are. Mm. See? You see how the game's played? Great. That makes sense. Okay. Yep. Number two. Darling, I'm surprised you always love me. And maybe I'm afraid of how I love you. Darling, I'm surprised you always love me. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm afraid of how I love you. So I'm, I'm kind of like, is a way to tackle this to like, just like do a Joey from friends and just figure out synonyms for every word or something. We almost did that. That's how we were almost going to do this. (laughs) Say it again. Sorry. (sighs) Darling, I'm surprised you always love me and maybe I'm afraid of how I love you. Hmm. There are people at home screaming the answer into their car stereo right now. I'm surprised you always loved me. Just love, not past tense. You always loved me. I'm going to need the multiple choice. Okay, Justin, that's I'm fine. terrible that's fine. at this. It's fine. It's fine. That's why I only did five, because this is hard. Um, is it If I Fell by The Beatles? Is it Maybe I'm Amazed by Paul McCartney? Or is it Woman by John Lennon? I'm going to say Maybe I'm Amazed by Paul McCartney. You'd be correct. The original lyric is, baby, I'm amazed at the way you love me all the time. Uh, yeah, that Maybe makes I'm afraid of the way I love you. Yep. That makes sense. Okay, I got you. Okay, here we go. Number three. Love can touch us once, and it lasts forever, and never give up till we're gone. Okay, I, I definitely know this. G- Hang g- on. Give me the answer. Hang on. Love can touch us once and last forever and never give up till we're gone. Yep. Go with your instinct. You know the answer. Is it is it somehow like never pull us apart? No. Not that song? Nope. That's fine. I'll give you the multiple choice. Give me the multiple choice. Is it My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion? It's My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Ah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I had a whole bunch of Celine Dion songs for you to choose from. Even the ones I should get, I'm not getting. See, you just got to go with your instinct here. This is like breaking my brain. Okay. Number four. Just give me a reason. Nothing but a heartbreak. Just give me a reason. It is not a mistake. Just give me a reason. I never want to hear what you say I wanted. Isn't there a pink song called Just Give Me a Reason? There might be. I don't know. Is that not it? That's not it. <laughs> okay, okay. Give it to me one more time. Just give me a reason. Nothing but heartbreak. Just give me a reason. It is not a mistake. Just give me a reason. I never want to hear what you say. 
I wanted. Alex, I'm going to go for the four points here. Um, this is... I'm trying to find the title of it. I know the song. Oh, it's I. I want it that way. It is. Yes, hundred percent. I was like, going voice. the lyrics. I was like, what? Which one is the title? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it's "Tell Me Why." Ain't nothing but a heartache. Tell me. Is why. that what it's called? Yeah, ain't nothing but a mistake. Tell me why. I never want to hear you say, "I want it that way." Yeah, nailed it. Okay. Last one of these, uh, really, really hard ones. Do anything for love. Whatever you dreamed about, but I wouldn't do it. Do anything for love, whatever mm-hmm. you dreamed about. But I wouldn't but do I it. I wouldn't do it. Yep. We can't have this much silent. Multiple uh, choice. Air. Give me the multiple choice. Is it all out of love by air supply? Is it Total Eclipse of the Heart from Bonnie Taylor? Or is it I'd Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That by Meatloaf? That last one is absolutely a... 100%. That's 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 two points right there. Joe, you got uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve points there. Well done. Um, now we're moving on to the finish the lyric portion. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you the name of the song and the artist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read you the lyrics and I want you to finish the lyric for me. It's going to be multiple choice. Again, it can be, if you don't need multiple choice and you fill it in, you get bonus points. And are these like, these are the original lyrics we're past. These are the original lyrics we're done with the, with the obfuscation. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is from 1997, Joe, you were th- but three years old. This is okay. savage, savage gardens. I need you. You ready? Okay. Anytime I see your face, I just close my eyes and I'm taken to a place where your crystal mind and magenta feelings take up shelter in the base of my spine, sweet like a, what? Multiple choice? Sweet like a lime. Mm. Yes, I need multiple choice. Is it sweet like a chocolate cherry milkshake? Is it sweet like a chicka cherry cola, or is it sweet like a Dr Pepper soda? I think people were singing a lot about cherry cola back then. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say chicka cherry cola. You'd be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, next one. This is from Hootie and the Blowfish. I only want to be with you. You and me, we come from different worlds. You laugh at me when I look at other girls. Sometimes you're crazy and you wonder why. I'm such a baby because the blank make me cry. I only know that I only want to be with you part of this song. Ah. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Because the song make me cry. Okay, multiple choice here. Is it doggies? Is it dolphins or is it birdies? I'm going to say doggies. Doggies? You'd be wrong. Ah, oh, damn it. It's the dolphins. I'm such a baby because the dolphins make me cry. Is he talking about the sports team? I'm not sure. We don't know. If you're a big uh, fan, yeah. Yeah. Uh, number three, Maroon 5, This this Love from okay. 2002. This love has taken its toll on me. She said blank too many times before the answer is goodbye 
All right, four points right there. Joe made up for that missed point above. Nailed number it. Number four, we have Adele's Hello from 2015. Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to meet to go over blank. Everything. Oh, yeah, number four. Joe, you got it there. With no points. one was a bigger Hello fan than me, if you can believe it. <laughs> 2015, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Number five, Taylor Swift's Love Story from 2008. Romeo, take me somewhere we can blank. I'll be waiting, and that's all there, uh, and all there's left to do is run. You'll be the prince, and I'll be the princess. It's a love story, baby. Just say yes. Be alone. Ooh, four. Man, I wish somewhere we can kiss and hug, or be on our own, or be alone. Let's be alone. Yeah, nailed it, Joe. Yeah, well done. Towards the end. You, uh, you did admirably there at the end. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm. Uh, we have I'm really a... starting to realize how much of my song memory is specifically only triggered by the actual song playing. Like I could not tell you lyrics unless like it's actually being sung. <laughs> Weird yeah. how things work. I was going to sing it to you, but I, I don't want to do that to you uh, or to our audience. Um, I don't know if these mic qualities would, would help us. They wouldn't. I know. Uh, so we're in the bonus round. We got a couple ones. I'm just going to fire off. This is lightning round. Okay. Um, five points each if you can get them. This is just going to be a name that tune. Okay. I, ha- I have my ukulele here, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> We're really going to try something this episode. <laughs> and I'm going to, I tested it earlier and it worked <laughs> out. Um, it worked a little bit. So we'll see what happens. Joe, can you name this song for five points? Doom, 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 doom. Need you tonight. Yep. By NXS. Well done. Uh, all right. Uh, next one. Uh, I'm going to skip that one. We're just going to do two. Here we go. This is so impressive, by the way. Yeah. You know? Uh, nope. That's out of tune. That is that it? part of the bit. Just go with it. Part of the bit. this one if i said i would walk 500 miles would you oh damn yeah yeah there you go uh joe you got one out of two there for the bonus round (laughs) you got two out of three for the bonus round yeah the other one i thought i was going to try and play levy and rose but i don't know if you would get it so anyway but i i know you love in excess so there you go yeah that was that was bill murray karaoke uh everybody uh which again had nothing to do with Bill Murray. yeah you did really well, though. I I'm feel impressed. like we keep trying to top each other with the games that we are creating for this podcast, and I am like excited and terrified to see where this goes. It's the- only going to get way worse, you know. Yeah. But um, but yeah, we did it. That is uh, Lost in Translation, uh, episode eleven. And um, yeah, Joe, give me give me some final thoughts uh, on what you what you loved about this movie. Final thoughts. Um, I'm glad I have expanded my Sofia Coppola um, viewport uh, a bit here, and I'm excited to watch some of her other films. Uh, I Me too. am really interested in, 
I think somewhere is supposed to be good. And then the Virgin Suicides, right? Uh, yep, I want to yep. check those out. Yeah, I need to go back and check that out because if she can bring this kind of heat to the theater, I want to go back and, and, you know, go through her whole catalog. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, that was Lost in Translation. This was a fun one. Uh, not your non-traditional love story, romantic comedy drama from 2003. A Bill Murray jam, uh, a young Scarlett Johansson jam. We, um, we really got deep in our critiques here. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I expect your thesis uh, on my desk Monday morning. I'm uh, so bad at typing papers. Minimum five pages, Joe, not double spaced. Um, cool. So do you want to tease out a little bit of what your movies are? Yeah. Movie? So uh, continuing with the continuing and closing out the, the love theme for February, I will be making Justin watch a film that I actually came to pretty late uh, in my uh, life, but it's it's had a big impact on me. And I'm really excited to talk about how this movie talks about love so we will be watching when harry met sally Ooh, i'm so glad you teased it out i thought you were going to leave it at that but that's great i haven't seen that either we all know that there's those iconic kind of scenes but um i'm really excited to 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 dive into it this is a movie where every single scene has something to chew on uh Mm. and i'm really excited to talk through it all i can't wait so yes, folks, uh, check us out on Instagram at UCU Podcast in the coming weeks and, su- and such for teases about the next episode and some some goodies that fell out of this one. Uh, obviously, you know our our hot, sought, highly sought after cocktail recipes uh, will be in there and some cool highlights. But um, yeah, keep up with this, and uh, we'll catch you guys a little bit later. Joe, it's been a pleasure. Justin, as always, it's been great. All right, take it easy, everybody.